This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and it is opening week. Several opening days for us to celebrate this week. We have Triple A opening day in the minor leagues, and then the first opening day, Major League Baseball, followed by Friday, day two, opening day in the big leagues and the rest of the minor leagues getting underway. So we are very excited about that. Jim and Jonathan have been scurrying around, well, not physically probably, but trying to find out where 900 different prospects are starting the season. I should also put Sam Dykstra and Will Bourne in there as well as They've been trying to track down the starting spots of all 900 prospects ranked on the team top 30 prospects list. Uh, so we're going to take a look at some of those assignments. Uh, we've got a bunch of top 100 prospects who are going to be starting the season in the big leagues, which is very exciting. We're going to look at some of the more interesting assignments. Some guys maybe starting a little higher than we might have thought, or a little lower than we might have thought. Some guys being challenged right off the bat. And then... We're going to talk a little bit about our Rookie of the Year predictions. Jim, Jonathan, myself, and the rest of the Pipeline team voted on our Rookie of the Year candidates in both the American and National League. So we'll dig into that, and then we will wrap up, as we always do, by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim and Jonathan, hello. Happy opening week. Um, to you as well. My scurrying days are long over, so you were, you were right to amend that. Yeah, yeah, more of a digital digital scurrying. Um, Jonathan's speed grade is what? What would you put put your speed grade at these days? Maybe maybe, maybe twenty on a good day. Base clogger. Oh yeah, station to station. Um, something that we do every year is uh, track the prospects who are in spring training and big league camp, and looking at who's going to make uh, the big league roster. And we'll put out a story on all the prospects who make opening day rosters. Um, And specifically, uh, right now, we have a story up uh, that looks at where the top 100 prospects are starting this season. And, you know, we've known for a while that this was going to be kind of a special year in terms of the number of very top prospects that we're going to see in the big leagues because at the top seven all American League and all projected to be in the big leagues this year. And uh, right off the bat, we're going to have Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas City, number one. Number two, Adley Rutschman, um, unfortunately injured, or else, I don't know, what, what would you guys say? Would we have seen him on opening day? I think absolutely. I don't know if I'd say absolutely. I would say probably. Okay. Somewhere between probably and absolutely, which equals that to a solid yes. I mean, from a talent standpoint, he absolutely belongs in the big leagues. Right, right. Uh, Number three on the top 100 prospects list, Julio Rodriguez. He 
you know, I don't know that we would have uh, projected this a month or so ago, um, but he came out and did what he had to do to earn a spot on the big league roster in Seattle. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, number four, starting the season in Detroit. His teammate, Riley Green, was very much looking like he was going to make the big league roster out of spring training as well and then fractured his right foot, unfortunately. We would have had the top five prospects in baseball starting the season in the big leagues. And Jim, I know you've looked into this a little bit, but I don't know that we can say that that's unprecedented. Um, you know, I know you did some research on it, though, and it's certainly something that we have not seen in a long time. No, not at all. I mean, I went back 10 years to try to look for parallels, and, and the two I came up with were in 2019 when uh, two of our top three prospects, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Eloy Jimenez, opened the season in the big leagues, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, you always had the service time consideration, so you can't say he certainly would have. He certainly belonged in the big leagues, but he had a minor injury, so he didn't. So that was close. And then if you go back to 2012, Matt Moore, fresh off like a great postseason performance, opened the season in the big leagues. And Mike Trout and Bryce Harper did not open the season in the big leagues, but they were in the big leagues before the end of April. And those were the two closest Um yeah, I don't know. You know, especially if you if you like even restricted it further and said guys making their big league debuts because none of these guys has played in the big leagues before. I don't know how far you'd have to go back to to find you know three of the top four or five prospects in baseball all making big league day you know making opening day rosters at the same time. It, it is pretty exciting. Beyond those top five, uh, as it stands right now. And as we record this on Tuesday, uh, the day that AAA opens and two days before Big League opening day, part one, we're looking at approximately 12 uh, of the top 100 prospects opening the season in the big leagues. Uh, The ones that we're not certain about as we record this, three Padres, uh, C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, and Luis Camposano. Uh, so we could be, you know, we, we could be at 14. Uh, it seems like we'll be around a dozen, if not more. Um, Abrams is number nine overall. Uh, Reed Detmers, number 21. Hunter Green, number 22. Joey Bart, number 31. Nick Lodolo, number 42. Bryson Stott, number 45. Josh Lowe, number 50. Joe Ryan, number 97. And Matt Brash, number 98. Um, so about a dozen, it looks like, which is, um, around the number that we've seen over the past several years. Um, I think, I think in the the past, uh, four years, we've seen like 16, 16, 17, uh, top 100 prospects. So not, not really, uh, out of the ordinary there. Oh, actually, actually, you know what? I think it's it's been more like 13, 12, 12. So it's right on, it's right on that number. Um, but does, do you guys, how much are the new rules uh, pertaining to service manipulate, service time manipulation affecting decisions this year? I mean, I, I think it, it's impacting it somewhat, you know, which is why we're talking about so many guys, you know, as Jim mentioned, or debuting for the first time, 
you know, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at those other years, Jason, to see how many of those guys who opened the season on an opening day roster had been up, la- you know, the previous September, the previous, you know, last part of, 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 of the year so that it was an easier decision to make in terms of, of calling them up, um, you know, particularly years ago when September, you know, didn't count towards service time. Um, now maybe those guys wouldn't have been called up right away anyway, but you know, so I think you, it's not entirely because of the new rules, but I do think that some of these players, if these new rules were in place, I don't know, you know, that you would have necessarily seen all of these top prospects begin the year in, in, in the big leagues, especially if it's for a team that, you know, may not, be super competitive, uh, you, you know, but I don't know, Jim, what, what do you think in terms of the, the impact of, of taking that obstacle away? Yeah, I don't think it's, it's, it's totally the new rules. And, and just to clarify service time, the players got service time. It just didn't count towards their rookie status right. in, in the past. But like, I do think you're know, looking at the big names here. I think we would have seen Bobby Wood Jr. Regardless of the new rules, because I think Dayton Moore has been quite clear when talking about the Royals that if guys were ready to play, they were going to play them, you know? And I, and I, I, so I think even if there was more to be gained from service time manipulation, they would not have manipulated Bobby Wood Jr. And I do think with the expanded playoffs plays into this, that the Mariners who just missed playoffs last year, aren't going to goof around and they're going to play who they think their best guys are because they, you know, they now have an even better chance of making the playoffs. So I think Julio might have made the team anyway. You know, the, the Tigers, you know, I, I could see a scenario where the Tigers make the playoffs if, if their young pitching comes together and, and Torkelson and Green boost the lineup and you know, they've, they've made some free agent moves. So I think they might have they called Torkelson and a healthy Riley Green up as well. I, I haven't analyzed each one of these, but I do think most of the players who got called up are on teams that have postseason aspirations. Um, you know, maybe not the Reds. When you look at what they've done all offseason, you know, with, with trading and, and giving guys away, you know, so they promoted Hunter Green and Nicoladolo. Although, again, I mean, they have a lot of interesting young pitching. You know, maybe they have a, a shot at the playoffs if things come together. But I, but I do think most of these teams at least have a, a you know, realistic – you know, they're not that they're all going to make the playoffs, but you released a realistic road to contention. Um, and so I, I almost feel like the expanded playoffs may have played a greater role than the, hey, you get a first round pick if your guy finishes high in award voting. Hmm. Now, I think that's interesting. I also think that, you know, you have to take into account pressures that some front offices may feel. So even if your team isn't you're quite ready to you know, compete for one of those even one of those extra playoff spots. I think if a, if a general manager feels there is some pressure to move the needle or to move things in a, in a better direction, he might be more likely to say yes to bringing, you know, some of these guys up right, right out of the chute. And remember too, I mean, just cause you have the guy up now doesn't mean he has to be up all year. You know, if, if a team, you know, falls out of the race and decides they want to service time manipulate. I think it'd be tough if the guy's performing, but if, you know, your hotshot rookies hitting 230, you could claim, Hey, he needs a month in AAA, And and then lo and behold, you have another year of his service before he can hit free agency. Which of these guys, um, 
is most surprising to you to have made the big league roster out of opening day? And maybe not, maybe not at the moment. Is CJ Abrams a definite? Do we know for sure he's made? Not a definite. Not a definite. Okay. Well, I I will say CJ Abrams if he makes it just because he's barely played and he was hurt last year. You know, I, I, I don't know that any of these guys is, is really shocking. Like, I mean, they're all guys who I think for the most part have, have played in AAA. Like I, maybe Julio hasn't, but you know, he's an elite. Yeah, elite Julio prospect. hasn't, but yeah, he's a special case. I mean, if you look at, if you took his name away, I don't think you would necessarily, you know, or, or the number, like because of the playing time, that would be a surprise, but I don't think that's a huge surprise that Julio Rodriguez played well enough to earn his way onto an opening day roster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's a career 331 hitter. So he, who needs triple A, you know, and he had 362 and double A, but yeah, I mean, I honestly, I don't look at any of these and go like, wow, I can't believe, you know, that they're, they're, they're rushing this guy a little bit. I, I think they all make sense to me. Like, like I said, the, the, the one, if CG Abrams makes the Padres, which he's still in the running, you know, given that he was hurt and I think he's played 76 games as a pro, like maybe that one. But again, I mean, he's an elite, elite prospect. Um, and those guys rewrite their own timetables. All right, so we have covered the top 100 in terms of guys making the big league roster. But we also want to talk about some interesting assignments for top 100 guys outside of the big leagues. We are going to take a break, and we'll do that when we come back here on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff. The season is upon us. We're finding out where all of the game's top prospects are going to be playing this year, which is one of the most exciting periods of the entire year. And uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the top 100 prospects who are opening in the big leagues. And now we want to talk about some who are not. And uh, we want to talk about some of the more interesting assignments here. And uh, how about we start right at the top of last year's draft anyway, Henry Davis, Jonathan, starting at high A, and there was some thought he might uh, start the year at double A? Yeah, I mean, I I think if you're just looking at him as an offensive player only, you you could make a a stronger case for him to go to double A. Um, But, you know, the catching is behind the bat. Uh, although, you know, when I was in Pirates camp this spring, they were very pleased with the strides he had already made. And there, there's pretty strong conviction he'll be able to catch now. Uh, will he be a plus defender now? But, you know, that he's going to be okay there. But uh, this way he can kind of ease in uh, a little bit. Uh, the weather will be a little bit warmer. Uh, and, and also, you know, he 
he only played eight games last summer after signing because he got hurt. Uh, you know, had he stayed in high A for the rest of the summer and stayed healthy, then maybe he would have had a, um, you know, sort of long enough time at that level with Greensboro to make the, to jump to double A that said, um, you know, and the, and the Pirates double A, uh, roster is going to be pretty stacked with prospects. If they, you know, if they stay there for any length of time, I think Henry Davis will join them, uh, sooner rather than later. And there's not a ton of catching in the system to, to block his, his path. So, you know, I give him a month in high A and then he, then he moves up, assuming that everything is going according to plan. All right. And we're not going to move very far down uh, last year's draft order selection for uh, the next player we want to talk about. Um, and this one's exciting because we have not seen him as a professional yet. And that's Jack Leiter. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I would call this interesting more than surprising that he's in double a, I mean, He's super advanced pitcher. He dominated the highest level of college baseball last year. He's, you know, I think it's probably one of the more anticipated pitching debuts in a long time. Like maybe going back to Strasburg, um, uh, just because of how fast he might move. So, not surprised from a talent standpoint that he got sent to Double A. Um, you know, I and I just think it, I think it goes to show you how quickly the Rangers think he could move. You know, like like I think you might have had you, you could make an argument that because he hasn't even made a pro appearance yet, that maybe you start him at high A and let him get going a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I think he's up for the challenge. I, I know when I spoke to him in, in spring training, he was really looking forward to pitching in a game that counted just because, I mean, he understood why he didn't pitch last year. He pitched 110 innings, which is by far, far the most he's ever pitched in a year at Vanderbilt and their season went really long. So they weren't going to put too much on him. Um, but at the same time, he's such a competitor that I think he was you know ready to pitch somewhere uh, as soon as he signed, like he, he's ready for that challenge. So in any case, um, you know, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how he does. I wonder I mean, Double A Frisco is not that far from Arlington. I wonder how many you know Rangers beat writers will be. You know, well, I guess it would be tough if they're playing at the same time. But like, I think there's going to be a ton of interest in that game, and it's going to get a lot of media coverage as well. All right, uh, another interesting one. Uh, this is someone that we didn't see. You know, lighter we didn't see as a pro last year, and this is someone we didn't see much of last year, and that's. Corbin Carroll, number 19 on the top 100 prospects list, the D-backs outfield prospect who last year, uh, you know, after the 2020 season was wiped out and we didn't see him then, uh, last year he came out and, you know, first week of the season was just insanely on fire. Um, hit 435, 552 on base percentage, 913 slugging, um, and then got injured and we didn't see him again. So, you know, we've seen him for seven games since 2019. And would you call this surprising or just interesting, uh, this assignment? It surprises me. I I, I think it's a little, a, bit, yeah. little aggressive. I mean, look, he's super talented. So it's it's not. We should say where where he's going, I guess. <laughs> no, we're not going to say that. We're just going to talk, uh, talk about. Yeah, you're be, are... You'll be surprised to find out, too, once you yeah. find out. Yeah, so he's so he's in Double A, and and I do, I do think that's surprising, just because 
I mean, he's 21. You know, he's got seven games of experience in full season ball. If it were me personally, I would have sent him to high A and let him tear it up for a month, you know, just to be safe. But for, I mean, from a talent standpoint, could he handle it? Sure. I, I just probably would have been a little bit more cautious on that one. How about you, Jonathan? I think they, yeah, they're just reacting because we, we ranked them so high that uh, they want to prove us right. That's right. Our rankings do <clears throat> dictate a lot of these assignments. I think so. Uh, you know, I think it's surprising because he is, you know, it's, he doesn't have the resume to show it professionally, but he's got, you know, a, a really strong field to hit. He's got you know, plus plus speed. He can really defend. I think it's that the qualities that can make him uh, at least a plus hitter. Uh, they guess they saw enough, you know, during the off season and in the spring uh, that he was ready, you know, ready to make the, the leap. You know, one thing, we haven't seen is what he was doing, say, in minor league games uh, in, in, in spring training, uh, where maybe he just was making, you know, high A level pitching look silly. So they decided it was, you know, it was worth challenging him. And uh, they <clears throat> they know sort of where he is from a, a, a makeup standpoint that if he, you know, struggles a little bit out of the gate, that uh, it won't snowball on him and he'll be able to make adjustments. Okay, so... Those two, a uh, little surprising in terms of the aggressive assignments. This one on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, for you with George Kirby starting the season at Double A. Yeah, I was I was surprised because he made it to Double A last year. Now it was he only threw twenty six innings there, but he's so advanced. That you know, and they and they were making noise. Although I think most people didn't really think he was legitimately doing so, but that he was competing for a potential spot in the big league rotation. So you have a guy who, you know, he he missed some time last year, and I think that figured into it somewhat. And it also, it'll be warmer in in Double A Arkansas where he's going as opposed to Triple A Tacoma to start the season. So let him start there. I. I don't think he's going to be in Arkansas for, for very long at all. Uh, you know, this is a guy who had a two five three and run average and struck out 10 and a half per nine and only walked two. You know, he, he came out of, out of college out of Elon as a pitchability guy who, you know, with really, really good command and his stuff has just gotten better and better and better without him losing any command, which has turned him into one of the more interesting pitching prospects in baseball. Uh, and, I really thought, okay, so he's not going to make the big league rotation. That seemed a bit too much of a leap given that he, he hasn't even thrown a hundred professional innings yet, but uh, I thought that he'd be in triple a, you know? So I think at the end of the day, he makes three, four starts in double a and then moves up to triple a. And at some point he's going to impact the Mariners rotation anyway. Yeah. He got, uh, he got roughed up in his first spring training start his uh, first cactus league start gave up, Six earned runs on five hits, including a couple of home runs and an inning and two thirds. Um, but then his two starts after that, when it combined six innings, three in each, um, and allowed no runs, four hits, uh, one walk, and nine strikeouts. So uh, he was more than solid after that uh, first start of spring training. Uh, okay, so Jim, a couple of Marlins pitchers to discuss here. Yeah, you know, anybody who listens to the podcast knows how I'm just, you know, 
fascinated, enchanted, obsessed with Yuri Perez. And, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that he made his pro debut last year. He, you know, that, you know, six foot eight, teenage right-hander, amazing body control and control of his pitches, chance for three plus or better pitches when all is said and done and perhaps control the match, you know, tore up low A, got to high A at the end of the year. He's still just 18. He won't turn 19 until a week from Friday. Um, you know, never pitched more than 70, he pitched 78 innings last year, made five starts in high A at the end of the year. And he's opening the year in double A. And I like it. I, I am surprised. I would have thought he would go back to high A for at least a little bit. But I just think that he's, I, I think the Marlins are looking at this like he is so talented that he merits on, you know, just his stuff and performance being in double A. And we're going to look at that rather than his age. I'm, I'm sure they're going to watch his pitch counts and his innings counts carefully because he'll be 19 for most of the season. But uh, but that one really kind of made me sit up and notice. And then one that, that's really just more of a procedural one, perhaps the, the the one that would have been the most surprising just you know in a vacuum is Edward Cabrera of the Marlins, who was in the big leagues last year, made seven starts. He's opening the year in low A. But the only reason he's opening it in low A is they just wanted to build up his arm a little bit more. It wasn't quite where they wanted it to open the season. So I think having shorter outings, lesser competition in, in low A uh, is an easier way to do that rather than throwing him out there to some triple A hitters when you know you might be more prone to try to you know ramp it up a little bit because the hitters are better. So th- th- that's really more than a procedural one. And I think we will see Edward Cabrera in triple A uh, you know, within the month. You know, before the end of April, I think we'll see him in the big leagues at some point this year. But if you were going for the most surprising assignment, you know, based on where the guy was last year, that probably would be the one on the top 100. Yuri Perez, the youngest pitcher on the top 100 prospects list. You know how I know that? These lists are sortable by age now. That's outstanding. I told you guys, I told you guys this today. I just, I, I knew this was coming, excited about it, and and just discovered that it's actually... They are sortable now, sortable by age, level, uh, rank, and uh, someday in the in the future by tool grade. We we hope. Ooh, that's right. You know what's really nice about this too, Jason. Looking at this, is you know there are four eighteen-year-olds, and a lot of times when you sort on sites, they just sort all the eighteen-year-olds are like alphabetical, whatever. This actually sorted the youngest eighteen-year-old is on top, Christian Hernandez. And so on. So that's right. Some fine sorting magic there. You don't have to sit there and click on every guy and wonder, uh, you know, if one guy, you know, which 19 year old or 18 year old is the youngest or whatever. So who's who's the oldest guy in the top 100 without looking? Or have you looked? Already already looked. Easy sort. Easy easy flip of the switch there. Yeah, but now I've already forgotten. Is it Joe Ryan? It is Joe Ryan. <laughs> Opening day starter, Joe Ryan. There you go. Um. Yeah, I will tell you, Jim, that I, I had to fight for that uh, that functionality. So I'm taking credit for that right here, right now. It initially was was set up where it just grouped them by age and then by rank within within the year. So uh, I'm glad I'm glad you appreciate that. I like it very much. Uh, let's talk about one more interesting assignment, that of Red Shortstop prospect Matt McLean. What's interesting about this, Jonathan? Well, I think you know the Reds have never hesitated to move their college hitters quickly, 
but typically they start out in high A and then make their way to to double A. And I think there are a few things that are different now. Um, you know, if you look at previous examples like Jonathan India and Nick Senzel, uh, when they were in their first full seasons, high A was in Daytona in Florida. Uh, so, you know, I, I know I keep mentioning this, but sometimes you keep a guy down a level uh, because of it'll be nicer weather and it's a better way to, to ease in than sending them to someplace that might be cold. Now their high A affiliate is in Dayton. So, you know, it's going to be cold in Dayton, won't be quite as cold in Chattanooga. I think another reason is that, uh, you know, the, the Reds do have some depth up the middle throughout their system and Ellie De La Cruz who you know will play probably a few different positions, but definitely play a good amount of shortstop is going to be in high a fellow top one hundred prospect in in that system, and I do wonder uh, if part of the reasoning for bumping McLean up to double A, other than the fact that you know he played well in Dayton last summer, he had a good spring, he looked like he could handle advanced pitching. Uh, he's that kind of college bat who could move quickly is just spreading the the middle infielders out to, to make sure that they all got the, uh, you know, as close to the same amount of reps as the Reds would like, you know, at, at, at the premium position. All right. And that concludes our segment on interesting, surprising, shocking assignment. How many of those shocked you? I'm not easily shocked anymore. I would say him shocked me. No, none of them. None of them shocking. All right. Interesting. <laughs> or surprising, but not shocking. I think we got, I think the final count is four interesting, three surprising. All right. And we want to let you all know that we will have a story for each of the 30 teams on where their top 30 prospects are starting this 2022 season. Those are going up over the course of this week. We also have one up now that's dedicated to just the top 100 prospects. You can get to each of those team stories from that top 100 prospect story as well. So keep your eyes out for those as they will be very handy as we start this 2022 season. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little about our rookie of the year predictions. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And we recently put out our uh, rankings for Rookie of the Year candidates for this season. As a staff, the Pipeline crew voted on AL and NL. Uh, and then throughout the season, uh, we did this last year, we put out our Rookie Power Rankings. Uh, so we'll continue to sort of handicap uh the odds of the rookie of the year winners throughout the season. Did you mean handicap the odds, Jason, or do you mean anger several fan bases? <laughs> it, it did prove to it's, do it's that. It's not yes. either origin. Did. That's a both and. Yes. It's a both and. I, I don't know that we do anything 
that angered angered people more over the course of the year than this a year ago, just because people didn't understand, especially in the first half of the season, like we will project what we think the rookie voting will look like at the end of the season based on how we expect players to perform over the full season. But nobody could, it seemed like 80% or more, it might be light, 80% might be light of the people who read the story will get outraged and be like, player A clearly has better numbers than player B. How could you say he's going to finish behind him in the rookie voting? So Twitter listeners can can sharpen their knives and and get ready to rip us all season. (laughs) But even at that, I mean, you know, once we got into the season and in in the National League, you know, (laughs) Jonathan India, who was not on our radar to start the season um, in terms of being a National League Rookie of the Year candidate, um, even, you know, through the first half of the season, first maybe quarter, third half of the season, you saw what you saw what he was doing, but you still, you know, you needed to see that more for him to sort of eclipse the guys who you expected to have better full seasons. And it's, you know, it's kind of a, a sliding scale there. Um, and eventually he, you know, he continued doing it. He did prove himself and moved moved up those rankings. Um, now, this year, uh, we have a very heavy American League class. Um, you know, we have talked about when we put out the top 100 prospects list that the top seven guys are all American leaguers and all with ETAs of 2022. Uh, so not surprisingly, uh, those guys' uh, names are at the top of our American League list. And uh, the voting ended up like this. Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, Adley Rutschman, uh, Shane Boz and then Jeremy Pena. Um, now, when you guys do this, you're obviously you have to look at the skill level. It doesn't go straight down the list in terms of the ranking. I mean, well, no, it doesn't. In terms of their rankings, uh, Rutschman finishing fifth here, uh, even though he's number two on the top 100 prospects list. So there is certainly an element here of opportunity that you have to take into consideration. Um, Jim and Jonathan, let's first talk about your number one vote because you guys voted differently here. So let's, let's duke it out. Um, Jonathan went with Bobby Witt Jr. And Jim went with Julio Rodriguez. I was clearly correct. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Enough said. No, um, in debate. a word. I mean, <laughs> okay. But um, that, I, for the reason I voted that way is, and again, I mean, when you're talking about the top guys and the top prospects in baseball, you kind of have to nitpick to separate them. And even though he's younger, he's not that much younger than Bobby Witt Jr. I, I just think Julio Rodriguez is is better equipped to hit big league pitching right away. Not that Bobby Witt's going to come in and struggle. I just think Julio Rodriguez is going to put up better offensive numbers this year when all is said and done. So that, that's why I went with Julio Rodriguez. I just think if, if you're going to quibble with anything about Bobby Witt Jr.'s game, there is some swing and miss to it. I'm not saying he's going to strike out 200 times, but there are some strikeouts. And I think Julio Rodriguez makes more quality contact consistently. So I, I went with Julio Rodriguez. Although I could easily see an argument for Bobby Witt because he, he's probably you know broader base of tools. On the pipeline, and Jim, you went with him before 
before we even knew for certain. I, I knew. I was, was talking to Scott Service when I was filling out my ballot, and uh, I knew. It'll, yeah. No. Well, I mean, I you did do my ballot. Also, Riley Green right. wasn't hurt, and that's why I put Riley Green, Riley Green third at the time. But uh, no, I, I just think I, I felt like if Julio didn't make the opening roster, he was going to be up pretty quick. So um, th- that's why I went Julio one wit two. On this week's Pipeline podcast, Jim Callis reports that Bobby Witt did not say hit. that. Jim Callis reports that Julio Rodriguez is a better hitter than Bobby Witt Jr., which is fair. Okay. Yeah, so I, I think when I cast my ballot, and I think I'm, I may have gone with Witt anyway because of that broader base of tools. Um, I, I, when we voted on this, I actually didn't think Julio Rodriguez was going to make the big league team. Um, so that's that's my defense, uh, which is neither here nor there, really. Uh, I may have still gone with Witt because, you know, he has a chance to hit for power. He's going to steal bases and he's, you know, uh, going to play very good defense. Um, so, you know, and I think Julio Rodriguez has a chance to do all those things also. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch them both to see see what happens and see how the how the voting changes as we as we move along. All right. And moving down the list, uh, Jonathan, you had Torkelson two, Green three. You mentioned um, Jim. You had Wit two, Green three, and obviously at this point, um, with Green missing the start of the season with a fractured foot, maybe that changes things. Uh, I'm guessing you would. I would put Torkelson three if given the chance to revote today. Yeah, and, and then Rutschman. Um, Jonathan, I think you were low man on Rutschman. You had him seventh, which is uh, yeah, you were you were lowest on Adley, and I'm guessing that's that's strictly based on opportunity. Yeah, com- completely. I you know he is going to need a, a, a decent amount of progression once he is deemed healthy uh, to work his way back. And you know, so I, I I'm not sure they're not going to rush him because there's no there's absolutely zero reason to do that. So I started thinking, well, you know, maybe we don't see him until June, uh, in which case that makes it a lot tougher to to be a serious rookie of the year candidate now. If you know that why we when we do like the rookie power rankings and things like that, we will continue to 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 vote as we move along, depending on how things transpire and if he's back in action and he's playing well, and it looks like he's going to get called up sooner. He would, he would obviously, uh, you know, move, move up the list considerably. And Orioles fans who listen to this podcast are only going to take away that Jonathan hated Ryan Mountcastle last year and he hates Adley <laughs> Richmond. So. Oh man. Thanks Jim. Well, Jim, if we want to talk about angering Orioles fans, we can go back to uh, your long-term rookie projections <laughs> of Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini, yes, long, long history of angering Orioles fans between the two of you, including Hall of Famers who are are currently Orioles broadcasters. So. That's right. Another interesting one here, I think, uh, in the American League is uh, Pena, who uh, is. I feel like he's getting a lot of a lot of hype, a lot of buzz during spring training. He's not on our top 100 prospects list. He finished seventh in the voting here. Jim, I think you and I were higher on him in our voting than than anyone else. Here's a guy who kind of has that different balance where he's got the opportunity. He's not as highly ranked, 
but you you feel like he's got a decent shot. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly their shortstop. Um, it's a good team, so it's not like they, they need him to bat fifth and drive in 110 runs. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. And, and you know, we, we talked about this on the – you remember when we, we did the Top 100 uh, Prospects podcast with Sam. Jonathan was vacationing at secret locales because he doesn't like his location to be given out when he's on the road. Appreciate you. I even asked I even asked the my own mailbag question because I wanted to bring this up where I was lamenting that maybe we should have ranked Jeremy Pena because I think he's a really good defender. I, I I still struggle with him a little bit because he was not much of a hitter in college and he didn't hit in his pro debut. And then he came in and had a solid but not unbelievable first full pro season. Looked okay in the fall league. Then the pandemic comes. Then he breaks his wrist and he doesn't play for most of last year. And he, and then he, I think he kind of jacked up expectations a little bit by hitting 10 homers in a month in AAA. And while I do think he's got more power and he's a better hitter than I thought he was coming out of college, you know, I, he's not going to hit 10 home runs every month. He struck out five times as much as he walked last year. I, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of him offensively. Um, that said, he is a really good, really good shortstop. And I, and I think he's going to be, you know, an average hitter with 15 to 20 home runs. And that's a pretty good player. So I, I, I still, as you can tell, I'm lamenting a bit. Uh, I, I wish I'd pushed a little harder to rank him since the Astros are one of my teams. All right. Let's move over to the National League side where uh, it's a, a different story here. Um, first of all, looking at our, our voting, four different players got a first place vote. Um, and this group of players is considerably different looking than, uh, the players on the American league side, uh, in that they are not top 10 overall type prospects like we have leading the way in the American league. Uh, and we also have a bit of an outlier because, uh, everybody else that we're talking about here, um, are prospects, um, but we have uh, the one player who came away on top um, in the National League, Suzuki, uh, is obviously kind of the outlier here. Yeah, I mean, it's a rare case where we have a guy who doesn't qualify as a prospect but, but qualifies as a rookie because he essentially is a foreign big leaguer. Um, but, you know, I, I, I mean, I just I, – to me, he was an, an easy pick just because – I mean – yeah, there is going to be some translation. I wouldn't expect him to hit 38 home runs like he did last year in Japan. But, I mean, this guy can hit for average. He controls the strike zone. He hits for some power. He can steal bases. He's going to be 27. Um, I, I feel pretty confident he's going to make a, a solid transition to the big leagues. So that combined with the lack of, you know, a Bobby Wood Jr. or Spencer Torkelson or Julio Rodriguez at the top of the list, I, I thought that was a fairly easy call uh, in the National League. And I think he finished what uh, everyone had him at least in the top three. Yes. And I think he's the only guy who that was the case because, you know, O'Neill Cruz got some first place votes, but he also got some votes at, you know, fourth and fifth. And Bryson Stock got some first place votes. And he got some votes as low as fourth. And Hunter Green got some first got a first place vote, and he got some votes as as low as sixth. So um, you're right. Yeah, he he was the most he he finished first because he was the most consistent guy at the top of ballots, if not number one on 
on more than half of them. The balloting uh, in the National League was was pretty close, though, with uh, Suzuki getting 75 points to Cruz and Stott, both at 64, Hunter Green at 59, Joey Bart at 51. Uh, Jonathan, you went with Stott at number one. And again, this was a, a situation where when the voting was done, we didn't know for sure uh, that Stott was going to make the big league team. Um, but you felt pretty confident in, in uh, his odds of winning the National League Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I, I thought, one, that he had a good chance of making that team. And two, even if he didn't, he would be up very, very quickly. And he he is not like... Bobby Witt, who, you know, like is a chance to put like huge numbers. Bryce Stott is the kind of player that if you watch him day in and day out, you like him more is kind of steadily a steady performer. So, you know, over the course of a, of a full National League season, you may see him on, the, on, a, on a given day or even a given week and be like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't see what the, the fuss is about or why he was ranked so highly or. But I, I just think that he's such an advanced hitter with such a you know, really advanced approach at the plate. Uh, he's going to get his bat into the lineup because he could play, you know, as many as three positions if they need him to. Uh, and it's just going to be one of these sort of steady, consistent performers. And then at the end of the year, you're going to look up and he's played, you know, 100 and whatever, 30, 140 games, whatever it ends up being with very, very solid numbers across the board. And sometimes those are the guys who, who end up winning, uh, winning the hardware because other guys are a little more mercurial or they're up and down and things of that nature. Yeah. I think the, the national league side has more guys who don't have the clear cut opportunity, at least to start the season, several of whom uh, are not on the big league roster heading into the season, Gorman, Cavalli, Cabrera, uh, Libertor, uh, all guys who received votes, uh, but are going to have to do it uh, later in the season. And we saw, you know, I think one of you guys was saying that, you know, coming up at mid season, it's difficult to make enough of a push, but we did see last year, and this was of course, Wander Franco. So maybe a little, uh, special circumstances there, uh, because of the quality of player that we're talking about, but, he made a pretty pretty good run in a very limited time, uh, so it can be done. And maybe on the American League side with with Adley, that's a possibility as well. You have that elite level prospect who we may not see until later could make a run for it. But it seems like he's got he's really got his uh, competition cut out for him with other elite prospects who are going to be up from the start of the season. Um. Jonathan, I was a little surprised to see that you had O'Neill Cruz as low as you did, being the homer that you are. <laughs> Tell the people on Twitter who were saying that Pipeline has an anti-pirates bias. And I'm like, really? Um, yeah, I, I think, again, at that point, we knew that he wasn't making the big league team. And the, the, the guys I put in front of him, Stott, Hunter Green, Suzuki, and Bart. You know, I, we didn't know about Stott, but obviously I wouldn't have voted him, as I said at the top, if I didn't think he was going to, are all in the big leagues right out of the, from the get-go. Um, you know, I, I'm actually surprised O'Neill Cruz isn't on the, on the Pirates opening day roster, but, um, you know, so I, I just 
think that they have some plan or they want to see him check off certain developmental boxes. So I'm not sure when he'll be back. I think he will be back. Um, but I, I, I just bumped him down a little bit in, in favor of guys who I knew were going to be in, in the big leagues right from the get-go. All right. Well, speaking of guys who are in the big leagues from the get-go and guys who are not, that leads perfectly into our mailbag question, which comes from Zachary Horner at Zachary Horner 21 on Twitter, who asks of the top 100 prospects that didn't make an opening day roster, who will be first called up? And the answer is formulating my answer. I'm thinking about it. It, it, One of the things I think that makes it hard, I'm I'm, going to tap dance for a minute, Jim, to help you out. Um, You guys knew this was the question. I know I have an answer. (laughs) I just try to see if there was anybody better. Uh, Uh, We're we're scurrying after all those rosters, Jason. It's like, it's tough. Some of this, you don't know when exactly the injured guys are going to be back from injury. Right. So how do you figure Adley Rushman and Riley Green into into that conversation. Um, so I'm not going to pick either. May I go first? Is that all right? Sure, you may. You may. Um, Unless I, you pick my guy. Um, I, I'm. I don't think I'm going to pick your guy. Uh, well, now I'm thinking about it. I'm looking down <laughs> the list more. I had an. I had a name already. You know, I'm going to stick with. It. I'm going to say Grayson Rodriguez is going to be the first. Uh, the first guy who didn't make an opening day roster up and. There may be some other guys, some hitters who could make it up first, but I think he's just he's dominated every step that he he's been in. He just hasn't pitched at this level yet, and I think that uh, he is going to pitch well enough. And maybe times out where he and Rushman can come up together. We'll see. Um, but that's uh, that was my first uh, my first thought, and I will stick with it rather than second guessing myself with a hitter. I, I will second guess you on Grayson Rodriguez, Jonathan. Thank you. Which is nice to me, I know. I, you know, he hasn't pitched in AAA. If he's not in the opening day roster, then there's no real incentive to call him up before you delay his free agency and arbitration, honestly, on a team that's going to be terrible. So I don't necessarily think it's going to be Grayson Rodriguez. I'm not <laughs> claiming I'm going to have a great answer, but I'm just going to circle back. I, I, I'm trying to take over as the king of Pittsburgh. I'm going O'Neill Cruz. Can I go O'Neill Cruz? Um, sure. and I'm trying trying to dislodge you as, as the fa- no. the fan favorite in Pittsburgh, Jonathan. Well, they clearly hate yeah, you've you've toppled them for uh, uh, most despised in Baltimore again by calling their team terrible. Yeah, well, I'll stick with that one. If if the Orioles fans want to quibble with with me calling the major league team terrible, I'll 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 take the slings and arrows for that one. But I, <laughs> I you know, I'll go O'Neill Cruz because he's already been up. He's already on the forty man. Um. I'm I'm just not sold on Kevin Newman. Like I'm not saying it's I I don't necessarily think that we're going to see one of these top 100 guys up April 15th, barring some kind of injury. Um, so I'm going to go O'Neill Cruz. I, I just think he could go to AAA and tear it up and, and find his way into that lineup sooner rather than later. I, I think and I actually think that makes a lot of sense. The only thing that was slowing down is that I know that they want him to play other positions. Um, in AAA, that was one of the things they wanted him to do last year, but because he got hurt, they didn't get the chance to. So it may depend on how that's going and where the opportunity is in, in Pittsburgh. That would be the only thing that would slow him down at all. And I don't think it'll slow him down much because if he's if he's just hitting homers left and right in AAA, they're going to call him up and they're going to find a place for him to play. But uh, you know, if say they're they're having him run around the outfield and it's an adventure out there for him. 
they're not necessarily going to call him up and put him, you know, in right field uh, in the big leagues, you know, regardless of how he's hitting. And like like your pick, my pick also, the Pirates aren't going to be good this year. So I'm I'm going to perhaps seed Pittsburgh back to you. Um, <laughs> so there's no real incentive. Like like you know they should at least delay his free agency a year at this point. So um, you know from a from a team you know what makes sense standpoint, not from a what we want to see standpoint. So so yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should maybe we should have picked you know Jason. Who's your pick? Did you prepare an answer? Maybe we should have picked a guy on a contender. I did not. I did not pick anyone, but I do. I am curious how long it's going to take uh, some of these guys to return who would have been on opening day rosters but were injured. Uh, Riley Green, Shane Boz, um, some other guys toward the top of the list that we have 2022 ETAs on. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, uh, Brennan Davis, uh, Tristan Casas. Um, of, of those guys, let's say Moreno, Davis, Casas, all the 2022 ETAs, which of those three would you would you say would be up first? Well, Moreno, we have ranked highest, but like, you know, he doesn't have a lot of upper level experience. They've got other ap- options at catcher. And the Blue Jays are expecting to win. Um, you know, I could see if you tore it up, they'd decide, okay, we got to get this guy into our, our lineup. I, you know, Casas, the Red Sox have other options, not that they're the best options in the world, but they have other options and are getting him a little minor league time. Who was our third choice? I've already forgot. Brandon Davis. I, I, you know, I'm going to go with Gabriel Moreno. I, I could see him just tearing it up and the Blue Jays saying we're trying to win and we need to get his bat in, in our lineup. I think of those three, I'm going to pick Alec Thomas. <laughs> I did not list Alec Thomas. <laughs> Dang it. He, he would have been fourth, though. He was next. He was next on the list. All right. Well, Zachary Horner, thank you very much for the question. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Enjoy opening day, opening week. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.